Greetings, fellow travelers, and welcome to the Way of the Showman, where we view the world through the lens of showmanship. I am your gracious host, Captain Frodo, and thanks for joining me for this, uh, this little sojourn along the Way of the Showman. It's good to be walking with someone for a little while, a little wild while, and uh, I mean, in terms of chit chat, I have uh, I was just I've been I've moved back to Norway, and I was reminded of this uh, funny book on the social. This is called something like a social guide to Norway, and there it talks about Norwegians. We are not big on small talk, and uh, we don't say hi when we enter a shop like they might do in Spain or whatever where everybody goes hola hola and everyone says hola and it's a normal thing here if you come into a shop and you say hi they go what's wrong with you or if you sit down next to somebody in a park and I know I'm guilty of this it's like you go what what do you want from me why are you sitting here or they say hi and you go why are you talking to me what do you want what is this but when uh, Norwegians go out into the forest or up onto the mountains, then everything changes. And this is a thing that anyone from Norway who's listening, and I know there's quite a few of you out there, and uh, and those who have been to Norway or whatever, who've gone out, as soon as we are out in the forest, every person says hi. You say hello as you pass them. The more far away you are, if you're really out in the bush, then you might even, as you meet someone, you might say, hello, how are you? Oh, yes. And then small talk and all this happens. So, um, I don't know, why did I start talking about this? Well, anyway, it's just uh, realizing that some of these things that I thought was just part of my own uh, uh, psychology, just a part of who I am, is actually more related to my own culture than I had uh, known and uh, we're going to talk about this uh, later on, talk about all the different ways that our mind is uh, functioning or not functioning. But this leads us to me to thinking about uh, why, are, why, are, why are we calling this, why am I calling this a way, the way of the shaman. And the reason why I think of this as a way uh, is partly because it is not it's not a destination that we're going to we are going to be constantly on the road shows are on the road the tour is our life and we go when we go to a town and then we play and then we go on to the next our the way of the showman and everyone is potentially a showman a showman is someone who faces the other way but this can be expanded out into a whole way of just viewing the world because we're all presenting ourselves uh, not necessarily to a crowd of people but we are presenting ourselves to the world every time we meet someone we are putting forth a face and a presentation of ourself uh, this makes the definition of the showman very wide and, uh, and in that way if we're all presenting ourselves on social media, it's very clear that we're presenting ourselves as something other than ourselves. Every time we choose to put something up or not, we have taken a decision in how to present ourselves to the world. Us show folk who are actually practicing show folk and not just philosophical show folk or any kind of person presenting just themselves in everyday life will, us show folks who do shows, we keep thinking about these things. You create a character that you work on on stage um, or whatever. It's part of the way, what the show, what showmanship is, or what the show is anyway. Because what we are looking for here is a way and not a destination. Seeking wisdom and understanding uh, and a meaningful life, which is something we all seek, it, that that is not a place that you get to. It's a process that we live through. This is what we talked about in the episode called Where is my art? That our art is a process and not a thing. Our whole craft is a process and not a thing. A human being is a process and not a thing. 
Life itself is a process. And the way and how to be a gentleman or a showman or a woman along the way, this is what we seek to explore. Yeah, anyway. It's a, the way is a set of perspectives that will allow us to enjoy the scenery, to enjoy the company and to give us the tools to understand what we see and who you meet and with that be better equipped to know how to act and participate in the events along the way. Hmm. So, it's a journey, not a destination. It's a constant mode of exploration. And uh, that is why last week and this week and next week I'm interested in and we will explore ways of trying to get to where it's at. Get to what's beneath all the surfaces. I mean, that's always what we've been doing, but I guess with the Mythopoetic Carnival, that's also what we have been exploring. But I think we are, uh, yeah, I think I'm just bleeding over into all the things that I'm just about to talk about, so. How about we all just dive together into the world of ideas? There is a sucker born every minute. This uh, phrase, there's a sucker born every minute, is closely uh, associated with P.T. Barnum, the great American showman of the Barnum eventually of the Barnum and Bailey's greatest show on earth, the greatest show on earth, this concept, it's uh, the American Museum, anyway, we're not going to go too much detail in on P.T. Barnum, that's going to be for another time, but it was in the mid-19th century, and although this phrase, there's a sucker born every minute, is closely associated with P.T. Barnum, there isn't really any evidence that he actually said it, but... Um, Sounds like the kind of thing that P.T. Barnum would say. Anyway, most commonly this phrase is understood as there is an endless stream of babies that will be born every minute that will grow up to become suckers. And suckerhead implies that any dark carny will never run out of marks, as we talked about last one, handy victims. Uh, with more money than sense, or at least with less sense than money. I guess you could have very little money and still have no sense and lose that, what little you have. And the dark carny here is meaning anyone in advertising or on social media or in print media and personal encounters whom does not aim to live up to the moral obligation of the illuminated showman, which is to always aim to leave the crowd, leave your audience, better off after the show, after the encounter with you as a showman. Now, whether this is the case, that a potential sucker is born every minute, I don't know. I don't even know how to fact check that. And also, I'm not really looking into it, as I understand P.T. Barnum's phrase differently. I see this situation as being potentially worse than a sucker being born as a baby every minute. I see it as you and me I see it that we can be born as a soccer every minute. Each time you or I read something that someone has shared on Facebook that isn't fact-checked, something that is not based in anything real or evidence-based, and you believe it, in that instance, we are born as suckers. Each time you fall for a scam, each shortcoming in our own reality experience, is a potential rebirth as a sucker. And for us show folk, there is a better way, and that is to get wise to the ways of persuasion, all the different ways persuasion can happen, and the flaws in our thinking and the flashy bits of language of faulty logic that can be used as weapons to sway us. Every time we fall prey to carnival-style marketing ploys, we are instantly reborn as suckers, and at the high-speed level internets around the world, I would say that little did P.T. Barnum know that 
at just how much quicker one would be born as a sucker in 2020. This year, the blessed year of the pandemic and the potential imminent collapse of America and much, if not our entire consensus reality, where we can't even agree on the most fundamental aspects of reality, we can be reborn as suckers at 30 megabytes per second. Yeah. Now, let's get cracking on the Getting Carney Wise project. Let's get schooled to learn, to see through illusion, to something closer to reality. Let's learn about the ways others deceive us, and perhaps more importantly, the many ways that we deceive ourselves. So let's start with faulty thinking. Your mind is a tool for thinking. But having a tool is only the very first step to getting a job done. Having a hammer does not make you a house builder. An untrained mind is like a novice performer, unformed and inexperienced, blessedly unaware of its own naivete. It enthusiastically puts out ideas full of life, knowing enough to think it knows everything, but not enough to know just how little they know. Here I pick up the thread of humility that we started in the last episode. Humility in regards to our own ignorance is something you only learn after learning a lot. Teenagers famously know everything. When they confidently tell their parents that they don't understand anything, parents should advise their teenagers to take action immediately, get shit done whilst they still know everything. The window of knowing, ev knowing everything is small, or at least it should be. If you continue to think you know everything, it means that you've stopped exploring. If you don't continue the learning process to deliberately work on expanding your mind and your understanding of yourself and your relation to the world, you might end up stuck in the state of knowing everything. These stages will come if you settle down too long. If you don't know that you don't know very much, you don't know enough. If you think you know everything there is to know about something, you don't know very much at all. This is called the Dunning-Kruger effect, and it's a real replicable phenomenon, a real thing in the world, something to look into, and closely related to the many things we are going to talk about today. Your mind is like a tool, but not really like a hammer. It's more like a Swiss army knife. It's a multi-tool. In the beginning, you might think it's just a knife, but as you start using it and exploring it, you realize it can do many things. It has many tools that you don't understand, but that you can still find excellent uses for and learn to master. And what you also understand is that there are many things that your mind doesn't do well. Psychology is the study of mind and behavior. I mean, it's more complicated than that, but for now, this definition will suffice. An important part of understanding psychology is to look at the mind's limitations. One example is sensory illusions. There are many examples of ways our senses gets the signals from the world mixed up and thus show us the wrong things. Studying how things like optical illusions work, we can study how the brain processes our sensory input. And thus understanding that, we can understand how things go wrong. So as an example, let's look at the blind spot in our eyes. Some of you might already be aware of this, but you, you who are listening right here now, I'm talking to you, you are blind on both of your eyes. That is, you see perfectly with most of your eye, but each of your eyes has a little spot which is blind. It can't see. This is because there are no photoreceptors where the optic nerve leaves the eye. It's a design problem. The designer of the eye was not so intelligent. That's a little dig at creationists' claims of intelligent designers, but anyway. To see, we need light to hit the rods and cones at the back of our eyes. These are the receptors that registers the signals from the world, but these receptors need to connect up to the brain. None of our sensory input can be delivered to the brain without wires or nerves. In the case of the body, there is no Wi-Fi networks in human biology yet. And the blind spot appears because there has to be a place where the wires connecting the receptors to the brain 
where the wires enter into the eye. And that spot, where the nerves connect to the eye receptors, is called the optic disc. And this little spot has no photoreceptors. Hence, you are technically and practically blind in that spot. You have a blind spot. So, why do we not have a black spot in our field of vision? Or two even, since we have one blind spot in each eye. And this is because our brain literally fills in the blanks. The brain fills in the blank with a bit of visual information from the surrounding area. And I'll post a link, a couple of links maybe, to some fun ways to test this. Basically, when you look at two dots or whatever on a screen or a piece of paper in just the right way, that is by moving your head closer and further away, you can make one of the dots completely disappear. One minute it's there, next minute it's completely gone. You've managed to put it into your blind spot and it just disappears and you can't see it. But this, I hadn't seen this before because on one of the sites I found there is this further test where each spot, and in this case a dot and a cross, are drawn on two different colored backgrounds. Cross on green and dot on yellow. And doing this test shows that not only does the cross disappear when you get your head into the right spot, but your brain is filling in the blank of the blind spot with something from its surrounding area. But what it is filling it in with is obviously from the area surrounding the dot. So your brain uses information from the surroundings but makes a mistake placing a, for me, fuzzy yellow spot in the place where there should have been a black cross, literally making you see something that isn't there. All this is just to say that the way that our brain works can be flawed. In many or even most situations, the brain is just excellent and by far our best way to understand the world. Our intuition can be used for many things like giving us a good first impression of a person or a place which might, it, our guts might warn us against them or the place. These kinds of things, intuition or gut feelings can be quite good for but for many other things it isn't so good. And this means that to get carny wise we need to understand our own limitations not just in a general way, but look into specifically the many ways that we reliably get the world wrong. Because with the incredible speed social media and things like YouTube and that directs our attention, there is no way that we can keep up with the problems it's causing by passing laws or by any institutions, be it Facebook itself or governments or non-government institutions making changes when we discover this or that unintended consequence of the service. We, the only thing that can expand at the pace of the social media technologies is culture. Culture can develop or evolve with incredible speed. Like we've talked about, biology and genes evolve very slowly, but culture and memes, something which spreads by means of imitation from person to person within the culture. That's what a meme is. And to protect ourselves, we need to arm ourselves with a change in culture. Getting carny wise. Seeding a culture that can protect itself against it on the end of the individual uses is our best bet at getting to grips with this situation. Like call us users because I don't think that the whole idea of networks connecting people which is what social media is, is is necessarily a fundamentally bad thing in the world we just need to understand its limitations and the tactics that are being used and what AI and whatnot are finding yeah, yeah. we have the same problem with how news now are part of the attention economy and are using the tools of showmanship which are intended for entertainment or performance to shape the news and I'm all for entertainment and and showmanship but these are tools that does not need to be used on everything just because we have a hammer does not make everything a nail and if we do we are looking at shoddy workmanship but this is a digression we'll look at this at another time the limitations of form but for now we need to develop practices and ways to view these dark carnivals that guides and protects us against the gloriously seductive attractions that they have to offer. As Hunter Thompson expressed it in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, know 
You're a dope fiend. Your life may depend on it. When culture shifts away from seeing social media platforms as places of truth or sources of information, we're on the right way. And this is why the Finnish school system, always a paragon of excellence, have begun teaching about fake news and disinformation already in primary schools. This is how a culture changes. Teach the young, since the adults might be a lost cause. To recognize a dark carnival when you see it, give them the tools to see the red flags. Go Finland. In the popular imagination, there are many examples of dark carnivals. The scary clown Pennywise in Stephen King's It, the dark carnival in uh, Ray Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes. The examples are many, and in fact, I think there might be fewer examples of carnivals as forces for good in the world, like the illuminated carnivals I am imagining in my own fiction writing. At least in the adult imagination, there are fewer cases of good things ever coming from carnivals or circuses. Some of the, if not most of the, children's books, though, about carnivals and circuses presents them as places of dreams and fun-filled fantasy. The key lesson for now is that the carnival just is. It's neither good nor bad. It's, uh, it's just a place where there is room for nuance. It's a place on the spectrum with 50 shades of gray and black and proud waving rainbow flag. Some are cesspits of depravity, no doubt, and others are squeaky clean Disney-style family fun Sunday school outfits. But it's not easy to teach our children the difference, or ourselves. As they stand, the children on the threshold of a carnival entrance in real life, there is no eerie music like there is when we watch a scary movie. The carnival has potential darkness in it and light as well. But in the end of the day, all the child, youth or adult has to protect themselves is themselves. They must learn to tell the difference between the dark and the light attractions. As much as I want to be there to protect my own child for her entire life, there will be a day when I am not there. And frankly, the thought terrifies me. But that day will come, and that day she's got to be carny-wise enough to recognize the dark carnival, and which rides and attractions are wild enough to be totally awesome, but not so bad that they'll leave her permanently crippled. Social media is fun. Carnivals are fun. The things we learn at a carnival, the things that happens there, are not normal life. Yet the lessons learned when seen in a proper light and context can be very valuable. We know that these places have different rules when we enter a festival or carnival in the real world. And in the digital domain, or when we are being scammed, tricked or taken for a ride, we don't always know that we've entered a different domain where different rules apply. When we're watching a horror movie and someone is about to go into a carnival of doom, we know it. There's all the signs there, but they don't. And that, that person standing on the threshold going in there, that's us now. Watching ourselves on social media, having no clue that everything is dark and skewed. That like in the Truman Show, you're the only real person taking all this in. It's an entire environment built just for you and built to explicitly push your buttons and to make you keep scrolling down and swipe right or left. So, back to our life raft in this thinking. Learning how to perform is a craft, so is thinking. Learning how to think and use your mind in a way that makes you better equipped to spot bullshit is a craft. And what are the tools, what are the strategies that can be applied to create cultural changes fast enough to mediate the effects of the breakdown of our consensus reality? As I see it, science, philosophy, rationality and skeptical thinking are all tools in our bullshit detection kit. The tools of the craft of thinking. So is developing a sixth sense to when someone is trying to bullshit you. A gut feeling, which basically is your five senses joining forces with all the subconscious processing going on, creating the illusion of a sixth sense. And in the end, this whole sixth sense thing, I don't know about this analogy, makes no sense since we have many more than five senses. Your sense of balance, for instance. Your sense of balance even has a very easy to detect organ, your vestibular system. But that's also another topic for another time. 
there are obstacles to knowing the world wired into the way our brains work. And there are also problems in logic that we use, the logic that we use to think. And that when we know of these things, then these can be turned into thinking tools that can aid us in getting at more accurate understanding of the world. All right, I keep getting digressed, so let's try and stay on tack, track, stay tacked to the track and look at cognitive blind spots. The blind spot in the eye that we talked about before is an example of a sensory illusion. And there are just as real blind spots or limitations in our actual thinking. And we call these cognitive biases. And there's loads of them. There are reliable ways. They're all sort of examples of reliable ways that our minds misinterpret the world. By recognizing the many ways that we can go wrong in our interpreting and thinking about the world, we stand stronger when we try to make sense of the world. There are certain things that are immediate red flags. Like if you go home with someone and they have a big Soviet Union flag on the wall above the bed, that's a big red flag. But uh, jokes aside, red flags in assessing claims are many. Today we'll have a quick look at cognitive biases and logical fallacies. And as always with most topics we address here along the way of the showman, they are huge and I will only provide this episode as a little way pointer, little sign along the way for you to follow up on yourself. These topics of critical thinking, deception and psychological shortcomings have been part of my life since I was a kid. My father is a skeptical thinker, critical thinker and a magician. I think that within the community of magicians there might be a higher than average interest in these topics because the craft of magic is about illusion and about creating illusions or knowing all the ways people make mistakes in their thinking is valuable for the performance of their art and craft. If your craft is to do one thing whilst at the same time making someone believe that something else is happening, like you show a top hat empty but really there is a rabbit cleverly hidden in it and then then if this is what your game is then knowing the limits of human understanding both in perception and in how the sensory perception is processed in the brain is a major benefit and when you grow up as the son of a magician you get to think a lot about the difference between what's real and what's not from when i was about 10 years old i've been involved in creating illusions and I don't know when I heard it first, but I'm trying to think about it. When I do try to think about it, I can't really remember a time when I wasn't aware of concepts of deception. I know I didn't really get into magic until about 10, like I mentioned, but my memories from before that are sporadic. Even just that is an interesting point because we tend to think that our memories and perceptions are pretty much like a video recording of reality around us and we can just access it in our brain and it will always remain the same and you can look at it. But that is not the case. My memory is exceptionally malleable and it changes all the time. Our brain is a complicated organ and is perhaps one of the most complicated organs in the universe. How about that for a statement? It can think, remember, feel, believe, calculate, extrapolate, infer and deduce and it does all these things we think of as thinking and on top of that it's self-aware. It being self-aware and doing all those things for us I think is a strong case for us, uh, for the brain being identical to who we are. As we know from life whenever something is complicated there are things that can go wrong and such is also the case with our brains. It's like an old car has its peculiarities and idiosyncrasies, but if you know about them, you can make it function closer to optimal. One class of brain idiosyncrasies, which has become more and more a part of the mainstream, is the notion of cognitive biases. And the cognitive bias is the systematic error in thinking that occurs when people are processing and interpreting information in the world in the world around them and it affects the decisions and judgments that they make. Take that in for a second. There are systematic errors that all people make. 
So learning about these mental errors is like learning about bugs in your apps of software on your phone. Something sometimes you know when you've well, some, up, you've done an update and you realize that whenever you use a function in your phone, like in your picture taking app, it crashes when you do a certain thing, apply a filter or whatever. So you find a way around it. And in case of the brain, finding ways around is the only solution since as yet we can't download new updates or swap our own operating system. It's been a, the whole brain has been a constant work in progress, a patchwork of patches and ad hoc fixes going back hundreds of thousands of years or in, in a way it's actually going back all the way to the origin of life. Now the concept of cognitive biases was introduced a lot later than the origin of life, more precisely in 1972. It's often attributed to Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, who wrote a paper on how people reliably failed to reason intuitively about large numbers, specifically orders of magnitude. Our intuition basically evolved to think about smaller numbers. So when dealing with huge numbers, our gut feelings don't work properly. When you hear about big numbers on the news, like some corporation made a million dollars or a billion dollars, we have a tendency to just file this under, they made lots of money. But the difference between a million and a billion is really hard to grasp. It's monumental, million, billion. When you just speak the words, the difference is only one letter. Swap the M with a B and you got another thing. Can it be so different? Yes, it can. I like to illustrate the difference by looking at time. One million seconds is 11 and a half days. But one billion seconds is 31 and a half years. So one million seconds is 11 and a half days. And one billion is not just a little bit more. That one letter of change goes from taking 11 days into 31 years. This is just amazing. It seems surprising and like some kind of revelation when you first hear it. That feeling that you have when you realize that the surprise, as you realize it and the surprise and the wow feeling shows how powerfully off your processing of numbers like this is. The astonishment is you experiencing the vast gap between what you think and what's real. A million and a billion are not even in the same playing field. With their paper and uh, the Kahneman and Tversky, with their paper, they um, were not the first ones to talk about this, but from then on, others have, um, in 72, the others have sought uh, out more ways that we can reliably and reproducibly misunderstand reality. It was the beginning of the exploration of the many ways our thinking goes wrong. There are now some very cool charts and lists of uh, cognitive biases, and it's a very valuable thing to look into. There are many podcasts around as well that talk about these kinds of things. Skeptic's Guide to the Universe being one of them that I like. Another kind of cognitive bias which has been used by magicians is something called inattentional blindness. And this is your inability to keep track of changes in what you're seeing when you're paying attention to something else. Magicians use this all the time. Um, tell you to pay attention to one thing whilst they're doing something else form of misdirection but the most famous example that went viral a bit on the internet at least on my feed that might mean nothing to the rest of you but this uh, showed this inattentional blindness in an experiment involving basketball players and if you haven't seen this go to the show notes right now and click on the link and watch that clip and follow the instructions and I mean just do it before we talk because once you've heard about it you can't go back and have this experience and if you had the experience uh, as a, a bit of an awakening when you, we talk about a million seconds being uh, 11 days and a billion seconds being 31 years then and that was a big thing this other thing is awesome so go click on that link watch it it only takes 
two minutes, I think, and then come back. I'm just going to pause for now so you can just you do that. In uh, this test, you're asked to count how many times a basketball is passed between the players. The test is some called, uh, sometimes called the invisible gorilla test, but that is such a major spoiler that I deliberately didn't use it. I hope that some of you actually would have gone and checked this out. And it's called that because while you're busy counting how many times a ball is passed between the players with white shirts, a gorilla walks through the game. Back years ago, when I first did that test, no one had spoiled it for me. So I counted the ball passes, determined not to miss any. After all, I consider myself carny wise to these kinds of tests, and I counted and got the right passes. But I did not see the gorilla. And if you know about the gorilla, if you're looking for it, of course you see it. It stops halfway through the screen, and it waves at you. But when you don't know about it, and you're engaged in keeping track of the passes, the gorilla is invisible. And for those of you who looked at this um, video now, if you did it and you followed it the way that you were supposed to and you don't know about anything else, how many of you went back and clicked to see, is this the same video? Did Is that there? And it is. And it is uh, astounding. This kind of information is... Uh, super valuable to magicians. A couple of weeks ago, I posted a link to Richard Wiseman uh, to a video that Richard Wiseman did showing something very similar, and I'll repost that link in today's show notes uh, because the effects that you can do are quite entertaining and enlightening. So these are just two examples of more than a hundred that have been documented. And as I've said, it's really important stuff to be aware of, and I think it's worthwhile teaching kids about it. Some of these biases are more pertinent to protecting ourselves against misinformation passed on to us by others, and others are important to know when um, considering how we ourselves seek out information in the world. So let's look at a little example of both of those things, like the bandwagon effect tells us that it's harder to not take on an idea or be swayed by um, a belief if it's already been adopted by others. If someone goes, all the jugglers think these clubs are the best, then chances are, as you try it with that in mind, you might think so too. Now, for ourselves and all others, there's a super important information bias, which we are all very vulnerable to. And this is that we focus on the information that confirm what we already believe. This is called confirmation bias. We might see information to the contrary, but since we are looking at the world through the lens of our belief, we might not even register that there is another side, much like we don't notice the gorilla. This is one thing which is greatly facilitated by social media's siloing or whatever of our newsfeed and the information that we see. If we all had the same, read the same newspaper, we would all see the same issues and anyway that's a huge discussion and not what we're talking about now this so it makes it even harder in our current climate to ever be exposed to any other side of an issue and here i guess you know you, you can open another facebook account and click on other things or you can um i think there are maybe there are, someone talked about this the other day that there's like a way that you can click on YouTube so that you can see other people's links or even just if you have a friend just swap that and just look at YouTube as a little more innocuous and see what they are suggesting or whatever see how different it is anyway when negotiating a price for a gig you might fall prey to or use what's called the anchoring effect that's another bias which is that the first piece of information offered in anything when you're making a decision has a very big impact and sets the ballpark for the negotiations. We strongly rely or get anchored to the initial fee that's mentioned in that conversation. That's why it can be a handy hint in negotiation to drop a very high price first, even if you haven't yet told the client that this is the price that you're expecting them to pay, by saying, 
Oh, I normally charge like $10,000 or a million dollars. That sort of sets the right uh, ballpark. Not a bad anchor to set, since we all need some back pay for lost gigs and revenue about now. And then when you get down to it and you ask your uh, client what their budget is, and hopefully having successfully anchoring them at uh, your excellent suggestion for a price, they will say, oh, well, you know, it's uh, difficult situations and due to constraints, all I can manage is 700,000. And you go, okay, I understand. Make it 750,000 and I, and then don't tell anyone else that you got such a discount and we'll call it a deal. Anyway, as I said, there are more than a hundred of these examples on how our brain reliably has a bias towards one direction or the other in ways that are not na uh, rational or even logical. Knowing about them, exploring them a little bit, might just um, convince you that we need methods to cut through this, cut through our own self-deception, and uh, to cut through illusion. I would say, yet again, you should all click on one of the links in my show notes, or just Google cognitive biases, if you never have, and have a look at a list of them. You get wiser for perusing it, knowing your limitations, it's a step along getting to getting wise. Also, if you're a magician or any other kind of show person, these are all potential good tools for storytelling, for getting people hooked on your acts. As long as you keep the showman's obligation of leaving your audience better off after seeing you, that you're a force for good, that you're enriching them, these limitations of human understanding can become beneficial ways to pull people into the world of your shows. We just briefly mentioned logic, and I will leap onto that, because this is actually well, this is actually one of the few things that I studied at my short stint at university all those years ago. Logic is reasoning conducted or assessed according to strict principles of uh, validity. Thinking logically and reasoning is to think about something in a sensible way. We all have a gut instinct to basic logic, like how a thing can't be something and also be something else. That's logic. This is called the law of non-contradiction. Like when it's Tuesday, it's not also Saturday. Or I love bread and I don't love bread. These are not logical statements. There are endless examples, but I think you get the idea of what logic is. And there are certain things that are logical and there are certain things that aren't. And this brings us to the final item for the day. And these are logical fallacies. Logic fallacy sounds <laughs> like an oxymoron in itself, two terms in complete contradiction. But a logical fallacy is a flaw in reasoning. It's ways something is expressed so that it sounds logical or sounds like it has a certain truthiness, but it actually isn't. Logical fallacies, uh, fallacy, fallacies. Logical fallacies are like tricks or illusions of thought and they're often very sneakily used in social media and memes or by politicians to often deliberately to fool people but they are also very often used by people not knowing that what they are saying isn't a valid logic way to argue their point when you know them you can recognize them and know before you even consider the content of a claim that the way it's expressed does not make it true this can be really valuable Someone might, of course, use faulty logic and still express something that's true. So just because the teller is bad at expressing themselves or uses faulty logic doesn't mean that you don't have to listen to them because they might be telling the truth or it might be a true thing that they say. But if they are using faulty logic, this should be a red flag and you knowing it, it uh, makes you stand stronger in the battle against the breakdown of reality. And I often just myself find myself, you know, talking off the top of your head and you're only midway through a sentence and then I realize that what I'm saying isn't quite making sense. So logical fallacies are numerous, like the cognitive biases, and knowing of their existence is just as useful. Like one argument, no, one example is the argument of uh, there's so many that this, I'm just going to give you a flavor of the kind of things that you can look out for. 
this is also, we'll see if I can find a list too, and I'll put a link up to that too. One example is the argument of personal incredulity. It goes like, I can't imagine how evolution works, so it can't be true. Or, I can't imagine how someone could say they don't like circus, so they must be lying. This example is not logical because someone is equating their own limited knowledge or imagination with something being true or false. Personally, I have no idea how someone can make a computer from scratch. I could not make one if my life depended on it, but that does not mean that it can't be done. Whether you understand something or not has no logical bearing on whether something is true or not. Another logical fallacy is uh, the ha ad hominem attack. This is when someone makes a claim and someone else attacks them personally instead of responding to what they're saying. Um, this is an awfully common attack in all kinds of arenas. And attacking someone personally usually makes the person begin to defend themselves and the discussion has successfully been derailed. And this particular failure of making sense has one of its most ugly and pervasive forms against victims of sexual aggression. Somebody claims something awful happened to them and the question is asked, well, what were you wearing? That's a horrible example of an ad hominem attack. Rather than addressing the issue, you are attacking the person who is uh, saying it. And as far as I have understood, all my listeners are members of the species Homo sapiens, and sapiens means wise, and Homo means human, and we are supposedly the wise humans. But, as we have seen, to get carny wise, we need to learn to think about thinking. The chat today has been a quick overview of some of the many ways that we can come to whole beliefs and ideas that aren't true. It shows how easy it is to fall prey to misinformation. Of course, there are so many more examples, like making sure that the person that makes the claim knows about or has credentials in that arena. Is the person sharing information about COVID an infectious disease expert? Did they, or are they, did the stay-at-home dad just stumble on some natural cure for COVID that somehow every expert missed? The examples are endless. And in this misinformation age, I hear it so often that people are saying, I was like, oh yeah, I, I did some research online. And going, you didn't do research. Research is a word that's used when you compare all the available articles. You look at it and then you make the statistical analysis of all of the information and you go through. So we're sort of just, that is a, this, that's a topic for another time anyway of just we have we're using up the words uh, just like when when friends are the friends on facebook then you go that is not really what a friend is so co-opting words uh, makes it hard to express ourselves um, say what we really mean but anyway we need to get wise to the errors of our thinking to protect ourselves and to be able to not just function optimally as individuals but also to function as members of a democracy if we can't think properly if we can't agree on the most basic structures of reality which absolutely is a very real problem of our time then we're in very deep trouble indeed we're living in the age of information but simultaneously with the internet and social media we're also living in an age of misinformation being able to think right or to take on our feelings but not let them guide us and to be able to think rationally but to know that we are prone to errors in thinking as well this is our best chance at acting well in the world we must learn to walk the middle way the midway being pulled hither and thither and riding the swing of the pendulum yet not lose track of reality or our own true course in episode 40 of his monumental lecture course, Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, John Vavecki, a professor at the University of Toronto, it's a very good course. The fact that I'm up to episode 
more than 40 and each one lasts an hour so it's a huge thing interesting some of you might be interested in this um, anyway he has been developing the idea amongst many other things of what wisdom is and the foundations for getting at wisdom and he says based on the work of others and himself that wisdom is to reliably be able to see through illusion and I find this a very interesting proposition and I've already used it quite a bit I think I said it last week too and it's something we can look at in more depth later but this is our game seeing through illusion to something more real and to do so is not easy we got our work cut out for us that is for sure but we show folk us who have been delving into the mythopoetic midway together and most of us are using illusions we should be well equipped to get wise for now to finish this up i believe that getting carny wise knowing the game played in persuasions the tricks of language used the breaches of logic our own mental shortcomings and uh, biases is not just a major way to protect ourselves against the machinations of the media social or otherwise the internet advertises it is also the only way for us to get back to a consensus reality know the game and know how to see through it there are illusions everywhere along the midway it's not just the magicians that are presenting illusions the games are also not what you think the freaks in the freak show aren't what they say they are and learning how to systematically see through the illusions is the aim of the game this is what will make us carny wise we'll pursue different approaches try to find a more cohesive method to see through illusion next week in the next exciting episode of the way of the showman all right we get to the end of another episode and it's been a pleasure having this time with you and uh, having your attention now uh, as always i would love it if you could uh, if you find this valuable which i think you do and uh, i know that a lot of people are finding it valuable around the world and uh, i have limitations in how i am to uh, how i can uh, reach other people so if you find it valuable tell one friend pick up the phone have a chat tell them what you have found and what you find interesting about this uh, podcast and perhaps it'd be interesting for them as well and that is uh, all that's left to say and uh, well actually there is one more thing that's left to say and it is uh, take care of yourself and those you love and i really i hope to see you all along the way <laughs>